tell you what, five, 10, maybe even 20 years ago, there's no way, there's no that I, way that I could have imagined that God would use me the way that he's used me. So uh, after my senior year of high school, I, at that point, I gave God all of me. So some people would call that being sanctified. He got all of me, not just my sins. He got all of it. And at that time, I'm so grateful that he didn't like unveil my whole life because I would have run screaming from the room. <laughs> There's no way that I would have thought uh, that possibly he could use me in this way. Um, also, I was brought up to uh, believe that you leave a place better than you found it. Anybody else raised that way? That if you are in a rental property, you clean that rental property, and when your lease is over, you leave it spotless for the next person, right? Uh, or if you're at somebody else's house, you take your dishes, if it's your, your own house, you probably should do this too, but you take your dishes to the sink, right? But especially if you're at somebody else's house. Um, you watch for someone in need, and you move towards them, Right? Uh, you have enough self-awareness that you share your power in the room. And if you're a part of the majority, then you make sure the minority is feeling comfortable, right? Anybody else raised with some of those same things? If you're online with us today, I'd be interested in the chat room. What did your people teach you? Like your parents, your grandparents, what were the, um, the really um, important things that they said, these are the things you do? Be interested to know. Um, so today, in our scripture, we are in Acts chapter 6. Some of you have been following along with us. Uh, I have a friend who's going to come and help me now. So we're going to introduce, um, in Acts chapter 6, it introduces us to some folks that God will use in ways that they never, ever imagined. Here, let's find number 5. That's number 3. Here's number 5. Um, ways that they never imagined due to their belief and faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And then they help establish this way that we believe even some 2,000 years later. That's us, right? And so um, let's read the scripture. Uh, my friend Griffin's going to read it for us today. And then I want to share with you just a few interesting things that I found out about it. So thanks, Griffin. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the Twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jer Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Thanks, Griffin. I love my friendships at PFN. So Griffin and I became friends. Um, we both were in Tear Down the Fences together, uh, which was a class about racial reconciliation, and it's really important to both of us. So we became great friends then. So thanks, Griffin. I appreciate your help today. So um, let's break down Acts chapter 6, just these seven verses, all right? Um, we have, at the beginning um, of Acts, we've already talked about how the Lord added to the new church in Acts, right? There's about 120 people that got together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were worshiping together, eating together, sharing their stuff. Uh, they just kind of did life together. So that was God's addition. Then we see how the Lord subtracted 
Ananias and Sapphira, right? Um, they were dishonest and disobedient and manipulative, and they, they were done, okay? So now we're in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and the Lord is multiplying this new church rapidly. And like anything that grows rapidly, especially rumblings of discontent are happening, okay? So how did the church grow? Well, these people believed in the Messiah as the risen Savior. That's how, they, that's how it started to grow. So they said, this is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. And then they saw miracles, and they heard stories from the 12 apostles, and they watched as the new church did life together, and they served other people, and it looked really different um, to them. The Acts church was made up of Jews, so it really looked different to them than what they had originally expected. They had dreamed of this Messiah coming, and he was just going to defeat the Greeks, and he was going to defeat the Romans, and he was, anybody who was oppressing them, he was going to come and take care of it. But instead, Jesus came, right? And he served people, and he lived this humble life. He went around healing people and talking with people, especially people that nobody else wanted to talk to. And so it just looked totally different than what they thought. So in verse 1, we see these two groups of people. So we got the Hebrew-speaking believers over here. So there, remember, the two groups are both Jewish groups, but you got the Hebrew-speaking believers. So they thought that they were the real Jews, okay? They spoke Hebrew. Um, they had certain customs that they were uh, accustomed to. <laughs> That's kind of repetitive. Uh, they, they were completely tied to their culture and their religion and their bloodline and their language, and they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, which were the languages of Jesus, Okay, so they were the real Jews. They dressed in certain ways. They had certain words they used, certain phrases they used, certain processes they used, and probably even certain inside jokes, okay? So they were the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Now, they were still wrestling a little bit with Jesus as the Messiah, but they had made a decision that they were going to believe it, and so this church in Acts started with these Hebrew-speaking Jews, all right? The other group of people this is you guys, are the Greek-speaking Jews, all right? Now, their families had been sold into slavery. They had been exiled from Jerusalem. So they grew up all over the Middle Eastern areas. And so they had learned different languages, including Greek. They had seen different things happen. They came back with different customs. So eventually, they came back towards Jerusalem, and when they did, they started to find each other. Okay, so as they found each other, they were like, oh, you speak Greek, I speak Greek too, and that's what I'm really comfortable with. So they started kind of moving into neighborhoods together. Eventually, they opened their own Greek-speaking synagogue because it was way more comfortable. They knew the language, they knew the customs, they could be together. They even studied the Greek translation, which, is, which was the Septuagint of Scripture. These people thought that was very worldly of you to study from the Septuagint, for heaven's sake. Now, that seems a little like, what in the world's happening? But if you talk to different churches, oh, we only study the NIV at our church. We're only the King James version at our church, right? So a little of that's still happening now, right? You can wear these clothes, but you can't wear these clothes. So a little of that is still happening today. So what happens is these two groups come together to form one church. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's a little uncomfortable. But isn't it interesting how Jesus creates odd couples together? Because I know of households that are completely split down the middle, but because they love Jesus, they can coexist. So you got a Cubs fan and a Cardinals fan, and they live in the same house. You got a Democrat and a Republican, and they live in the same house. You got a vegetarian and a carnivore, and they live in the same house. It's remarkable, isn't it? 
how Jesus is the common denominator and he can help us. So the Greek-speaking Jews were invited to become a part of the Hebrew-speaking Jews church. I want you to imagine how that must have felt for the Greek-speaking Jews because you were coming into this place Um, It had established practices, it had languages, it had ways, it had a history. And you came in and you spoke a different language. You probably wore different clothes. You might even had a different skin color. Had to feel weird, didn't it? So I'm interested, have you ever been in a situation where you were the majority and how did that feel? Or you were the minority and how did that feel? If you're watching with us online today, I'd love to hear your comments about that. How did that make you feel? Because I think that that would lead to this constant tension, or at least a possibility of this constant tension. So it's the responsibility of the local synagogue um, to take care of any widows that don't have any children. So that was the responsibility of the church. And so every day, the poor and the widows would come and they would get an allotment of food. Then a fight breaks out in the women's ministry, okay? Because what happens is the Greek-speaking Jews said the Hebrew-speaking Jews, their widows were getting more food than the Greek-speaking Jews, right? Fight, 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 fight. And can't you imagine what it was? She got more tater tots than I did, (laughs) right? Or the other complaints, there's too much salt in this. Do you have any gluten-free options? You know, there's just, there was probably all these different comments uh, that were coming from them. Now, some of these complaints, the whole issue was probably legitimate, but the complaints really messed it up. (laughs) It really became a difficult situation. And so as they're moving through these complaints, um, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. I will tell you, as the church grows, two things happen. Any church grows, two things happen. Number one, there is a perceived lack of concern because larger seems impersonal. Okay, so that's number one. That's That's what can happen. And number two, The expectation is whoever's in leadership, they need to fix it, whatever it is, all right? And that's what's happening here. So the Hebrew-speaking Jews, my guess is, were probably saying, I liked this much better when Joe was in charge. I don't know what's happening with this, but I liked it a lot better before. Or this person's sitting in my seat, and they know that this is my seat. I don't know what's happening around here. Okay, so there's a lot of complaints happening. Um, I will tell you, we talked about addition. We talked about subtraction. We talked about multiplication. You know what God's math doesn't do? It doesn't divide. All right. There's no dissension. There's no division in God's math. So now we're all the way to verse two. Verse two says the apostles called a meeting of all the believers. By this time, there was 20,000 people in this church. 20,000 people. And you knew who's in charge of all their wants and all their needs and all the situations. 12 apostles. Can you imagine that for 20,000 people? That's nutso. And so they cared about the spiritual and the material ministry. But remember, these are the same guys, the very same guys that just a few verses ago, just a few books ago said, send them away. Let them find their own food, right? We see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that these 12 apostles did not do things very well often. They thought um, that they saw themselves as the manufacturers of everything that needed to happen, but now, now they're getting it because now they're understanding they're actually the distributors of God's gift. And so as they get it, they begin to understand what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to make a priority. They are to teach the word of God and pray. That was their responsibilities. 
They were honest and recognized that there was indeed a problem and so it was gonna need a solution. So your first blank is new problems call for new leadership. So they had some new problems that they needed to deal with, so they needed some new leadership. The apostles started to organize the organism that was the church, and it makes me so happy. I love this because even since a little kid, I love to organize. I like for things to be just so. Now, I will tell you, some people don't love organized religion, but my God, the God I serve is very organized. Every day there is a sunrise and there is a sunset because of the revolution of the earth. Um, when you look at the galaxy, it's very orderly, it's very organized. When, the, uh, when God does something, it's decent and orderly. Isn't that just, doesn't that just make you want to breathe? It's so great. So the apostles recognized this and they went with what they knew. So in Judaism, in the Jewish religion, anytime they needed leadership of a village, of a synagogue, it didn't really matter, they would choose seven guys, all right? And those seven guys had certain um, responsibilities, but they also had certain qualifications to allow them to serve in leadership. So let's take a look at those. First of all, you had to be a part of the fellowship long enough for somebody to observe this about you, right? So it couldn't be somebody who just came in, okay? So number one, you had to have a good reputation. Reputation is that blank. So I've been watching your life long enough to know that you're a person of, of good reputation, okay? Number two, you are full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Now what that means is you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are managed and organized by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty good. And then number three, you're a person of wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just knowledge, okay? Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. That's pretty good, isn't it? All right? Then we learn in verse 5, a miracle happens. Are you ready for it? Everyone liked this idea. Write that down. That was the miracle that happened. 20,000 people, and the comment is everyone liked this idea what in the world? That is some pretty good leadership, right? So as we're looking for new leaders, um, personally, I think that the new leaders are always a great idea. So I try my best to be um, a, a leader scout, a talent scout, a leader scout, to where I'm watching for new leaders. Why? Because I'm concerned about the longevity of PFN. Honestly, right now, I feel like I have a voice here. Uh, but I know that that won't continue forever. And so how can I grow up new leaders, not just for PFN, but especially for the kingdom of God? Um, so I'm watching for that. What are you doing? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, sitting in this room up here as you go to refuge, as you go to um, kid zone in a little bit, what are you doing online to grow up new leaders? How are you being a talent scout? We'd be interested to hear that. So put that in the chat right there while you're watching. And let's just be honest, when's the last time we could say everyone liked this idea? That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? <clears throat> so the apostles make the suggestion, the church themselves chooses the seven people, and then the apostles ordained them by laying hands on them and praying for them. So let's look at these seven guys that they chose. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted Griffin to read the scripture is so I could hear how to uh, properly pronounce these names. So thank you very much. All right, so uh, we see Stephen first. He's the only one listed with his qualifications, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Then we see Philip. Uh, now, Stephen and Philip we will see again in Acts, okay, a little bit later on. Then we have, here we go, Pro, Pro, 
Chorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, nope, he's not in there. Um, uh, Par Parmesan, that's not right. Parmenas, maybe. Uh, this is the only time that we hear about these guys, though, okay? Uh, they become distributors. They become waiters. Um, this is where they stay, right? They get their job, and they do it well, and for the rest of their ministry, they're taking care of the widows. They're taking care of the poor. They're pretty happy where they're at. They found a great place to serve. And so that's where they're going to continue to serve. Then we hear about Nicholas, number seven. Um, it says Nicholas of Antioch is mentioned as an earlier convent to the Jewish faith because in a few short years, this is where the Gentile missionary effort will begin because of Nicholas, because he opened the door for them there. So that's important. And I think it's pretty cool that all uh, seven of these guys are Greek. Did you notice that? I didn't really know that those were Greek names, but all seven of them were Greek. They were perfectly suited to help their widows to understand the language, the customs, and the cultural tension that they were dealing with. In current terms, um, when we dreamed of planting a community center and a church on the south side of Peoria, we knew that I would not be the person to plant it. Even though I was a part of that dreaming session, there was no way that that was going to work. We needed a native we needed someone who could understand and not only have compassion, but have walked in their shoes. So Southside Community Center needed Irene Lewis Wembley. And it needed indigenous leaders like my friend Arena for it to succeed. So we're so grateful that it is. These guys were commissioned to do an important work. And this was the beginning of lay ministry where the people of the congregation uh, worked right alongside and led ministries and helped and harmonized with the pastor. Because you know what membership in a church or, or attendance or being a part of a church means? It means this is where I serve. You know what it doesn't mean? This is where I come to listen to sermons. Okay, do we get this right? Uh, my friend Rich is going to show a picture right now. And it's going to be kind of two-sided. See my new apron for my babies? Isn't that sweet? Okay, so here comes a picture. It's coming now. I can feel it. Can you feel it coming through the... Hey, there it goes. Okay, so number one, we got a cruise ship on this side. So if you've ever been on a cruise, it's fantastic. It is like luxury on the water, okay? You get there, and you get your virgin pina colada, and you sit by the pool, and it's fantastic, and you can go to dinner, and you can go to shows, and you can go to the Lido deck anytime you want during the day and get ice cream and cheeseburgers. It is fantastic, okay? So you got a cruise ship. It's very comfortable, very nice. Then on this side, you got a battleship. A battleship, everybody has a certain responsibility. Everybody has a certain task. They have been trained as to what they're supposed to do. They've been mentored as to what they're supposed to do. And guess what happens on a battleship? If you don't have a job, if you don't have a responsibility, there's no room for you. You got to get off the battleship. I wonder, what does church look like? Not just our church, but Big C Church, church across the world. Have we gotten kind of used to coming and sitting in our comfortable seat? Um, we do not serve virgin pina coladas during church, but that's a great idea. <laughs> but where we can all get kind of comfortable, right? We come and we sit in our comfortable spot and we do what we're comfortable with and we don't really push ourselves beyond that. Maybe it should look more like a battleship 
where we show up and we recognize what is happening in the world. We recognize this moment people are going to hell and there is spiritual warfare happening. And what have I been trained to do? And where's my spot? And when I show up, I go straight to my job and I get it done. I want you to think about that this week. Do you come to church as a cruise ship or a battleship? Because there's a spot for you. We need you on our battleship. We need you because somebody in your family, my guess is, somebody in your family, somebody you work with, maybe a neighbor, they're not going to heaven yet. And they need you in the battleship. Okay, so let's think about that a little bit. Next line. Small things lead to big things. Small things lead to big things. Serving is one of the best ways to show God's love to the world. It makes us uncomfortable many times, doesn't it? Uh, Sometimes it stretches us. Sometimes it causes us to only be able to do it if God can help us to do it. It's a pretty good place to live. Just because the apostles were not called into this ministry where they were serving food, it didn't make it any less important, right? Uh, Sometimes I think folks are waiting on their big contribution to the kingdom of God. They're going to have this great kingdom impact. But the reality is the day-to-day kindnesses, um, the small things make the big difference. So think about whoever's holding your baby or your toddler or is working with your kid right now so that you can be sitting in here. That's a pretty big thing, isn't it? Think about whoever, when you walked in, they said, hey, good morning, I'm so glad that you're here. And they handed you a bulletin and some sermon notes. That's a big thing. Think about uh, the person that lets you cut at Walmart because you only had a few items and they had a whole cart. That's a huge thing, isn't it? That's a big deal. The friend who dropped off dinner to you because you weren't feeling very well, that was really a big deal. Or the neighbor maybe who picked up your kids because you ended up having to work late. That's a big deal. Those are big deals. And if you can be trusted in small things consistently, God can trust you with big things too. All these big and small things literally change people's lives. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. It says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with, with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? It's pretty good. The apostles, um, they had to decide to stay true to their calling too, okay? Um, To consistently pray and study and teach the word of God. Now, I will tell you, over the last 2,000 years, there are pastors and there are churches who have left the teaching of the word and left prayer to wait tables, There are churches that uh, no longer have Sunday morning services. They have pep rallies. Um, If you, can I just encourage you today? It is hard work. It is hard work to teach God's word. It is hard work to be a prayer warrior. So if you're a prayer warrior, if you're a teacher of the word, don't get distracted. Don't be lazy and don't give up. Uh, Preach the word. A professor of theology once told his students that if you preach to 100 people for one hour 
and you are ill-prepared, you just wasted 100 hours of God's time. That's a lot, isn't it? So I just want you to know this is where our sermons come from. (laughs) This is what we use. And if you're not familiar with this, this is the Bible. This is the Word of God. And this is where we get uh, Sunday school lessons and Bible studies and Kid Zone and Refuge. This is it. We preach the Word here. And so I just want to encourage you, let's not give up what we've been called to do. All right? Some of us have been called to wait tables. I wait tables all the time, and I love that. But I also know the Lord's called me to teach His Word. And so I cannot be lazy in that. All right? So because they found the right people to do the right jobs, the gospel message continued to spread and the church grew and verse seven says, it increased greatly and even the Old Testament priests believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Now that's a really short phrase to tell you something huge. These same guys that had kept all the laws of the prophets who were in charge of uh, the tabernacle, These same guys were the ones who now believed in Jesus as the Messiah. These are the same guys uh, that took Jesus to the Romans uh, for him to be killed. These are the same guys that stood in the crowd and yelled, crucify him. These are the same guys that when Jesus was alive, there's no way they thought he was the Messiah. These are the same guys that had made Old Testament sacrifices over and over and over again. And now they were believing in Jesus as the final sacrifice. These are the same guys. Now, I think the Jewish people, the Hebrew and the Greek-speaking Jewish people, looked at those Old Testament um, priests and said, there's no way those guys are going to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They are too far gone, man. There's no way. Can I just tell you um, that they were not too far gone? And so you think about your list. Who's on your list? that you would say, no way. There's no way they're ever going to believe in Jesus. There's no way they're going to serve him. There's no way they're going to ever trust him as the Messiah and the Savior. Don't take him off your list because Jesus hasn't. Okay? He's still pursuing them. He is still alive today, and he is our risen Savior, our risen Messiah, who is chasing hard after your too-far-gone list. Okay? So you keep praying him, keep him on your list, because he's on, they're on Jesus' list. That's good news today, isn't it? Praise the Lord. So, uh, where am I at there? Okay, so uh, the final thoughts from this scripture is let's work for oneness. Oneness is that blank. Let's work for oneness. Now, I got to tell you, oneness is intentional. It doesn't just happen by accident. It is not the absence of diversity. Sometimes people think unity or oneness is the absence of diversity. It isn't. Uh, I think oneness is the one to nine ratio. So you got 10 people in a room and one of them is different from the other nine, whatever it might be. I've been in a room of 10 before where I've been the only woman and there's nine men. I've been in a room before where I'm the only white person and everybody else is a different ethnicity. I've been in a room where I was the youngest and everybody else was older. Not anymore. Now it's usually I'm the oldest and everybody else is younger. (laughs) But we got the one and nine ratio, right? So I think working for oneness means, will the nine work really hard to make sure that the one feels a part of it, whatever it is? And will the one work just as hard for the nine? And could we become not one in nine, but 10? 
I think that's what oneness could look like. Because here's the reality. There is evil in this world, and it often presents itself in ways for us to be divided. Let me say that one more time. The reality is there is evil in this world, and it often presents itself in ways for us to be divided. We've experienced a lot of that lately, haven't we? Politically, with COVID, uh, we, could, we could just keep listing, listing, listing. Where there's very few people in the middle, most of the time you're over here or you're over here. Well, doesn't Satan love that? Because he's dividing us. And if we're really working for oneness, we gotta be intentional about it, guys. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, now I've been talking for a while here, but listen to this, because this is what Jesus says. I am praying not only for these disciples, these 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's all of us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Oh, that's good. You know, I feel a lot of hope about this scripture today. Um, these guys, these apostles, they preached, uh, they preached the Bible. Actually, some of these apostles wrote the Bible. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, they literally walked next to Jesus. Um, they were so close to the Holy Spirit that we learned last week from Pastor Mark that when Peter's shadow fell, people were healed just from his shadow. That's how close he was to the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? They still got something wrong. Yay, right? Because so many times we read scripture and we think, oh, I can't live up to that, I can't live up to that. They still missed something. And so these widows weren't getting enough food. There was a problem to be solved. They missed it. But so many times, I think we think um, that um, failure is a result of sin. Sometimes failure is a result of human limitation. That's it. And so they missed this. Uh, I believe there will be messes to clean up as we serve Christ in a broken world. We should always express grace towards other people and confidence in Jesus. Our goal should always be to do compassionate and efficient management while aggressively advancing the gospel. On the front lines of Acts, they were doing this. They were praying, they were preaching the word, and then they were serving orphans, strangers, poor, and widows. Those six things. Is that what our front line is? Is that what we're doing? Uh, PFN could be a place for revival, don't you think? It could be a place for change through practical, consistent acts of love. Practical love so many times is much more effective, much more powerful than radical love. Um, what remains eternal is the impact that you have on another person's life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, and I've, I've put this last paragraph in your notes. This is important, I think. Let's seek the salvation of everyone. The gospel can penetrate the hardest hearts, right? So don't have a they're too far gone list. All right, get rid of that. Let's celebrate gospel-centered growth. So anytime somebody comes to know Jesus and grows in him, we're gonna celebrate that. Gospel-centered growth. Let's have realistic expectations of one another and of our leaders. Let's show grace to one another. Let's remember that there's a difference between sin and human limitation. Let's play as a team. 
If you're a Christian, you are a player, not a fan, so participate in the mission, okay? Transfer yourself from the cruise ship over to the battleship. Let's pray that each local church will effectively care for the needs of people and also faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel. And through it all, let's remember that Jesus is building his church and we are wonderfully privileged to be a part of it. So a few responses today. Um, at the bottom of your sermon notes there, there's seven things listed. Uh, we're going to have some just quiet music playing in just a couple minutes here as I go through these, and then we're going to take literally just a few minutes of silence for us to each reflect personally on what, what am I going to do with this information? How is the Lord going to help me today to make a decision um, about how I'm going to serve him? So number one, what is the name you will continue to pray for for salvation? There's a blank right there for you to write down. Somebody maybe you've been praying for for a while and you just quit. Somebody that you would say, in my life, there's no way. I'm telling you right now, there's no way they're going to love Jesus. Uh, there's a way, and it's called the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be the boss of that. He's going to come and he's going to help in that situation. So ask God to continue to pursue this person and to help you be faithful in praying for them and showing them Jesus in the flesh. Number two, will you agree to have realistic expectations for one another and for our PFN leaders? Ask God to forgive you for the times that you've complained about them. You've complained about others. Ask him to use you as a prayer warrior for the leaders of Summit and Southside and PFN. Number three, will you show grace to one another? Did you, my favorite definition of grace is when I don't get what I deserve. It's pretty good. Can I show that to another person? Ask God to show you how to be a grace giver and pray for opportunities to show grace to other people. Number four, will you play as a team player and participate in the mission of PFN? Let's look at this. Thank God for knowing you. He knows you so intimately and ask him to help you to know others. Thank God for how he values you and ask him to help you to value others, showing them in big and small ways. And then thank God for giving your life purpose and ask him to help you to help others find their purpose. Because did you know what? At PFN, we are known, valued, and purposed. And so we need for you to be a team player. Number five, will you pray for other churches to effectively and faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus? So I want you to think about where does your kid go to church? Do you pray for that church? Where does your grandchild go to church? Do you pray for them? What about the church in your neighborhood? Are you praying for them to be so on fire for the Holy Spirit and sharing the gospel that tons of people come to church there? Let's pray for other churches that way. Number six, what is your small thing to do that's actually a pretty big thing? Ask God to use your small things to make a big difference for the kingdom of God. And number seven, are you willing, you, not the person next to you, not your whole family, just you. You're the only one you get to make a decision for. Are you willing to work for oneness? Thank God for making us each unique and using us together to make a difference through unity. So we're going to take just a couple of minutes of quiet here. I want you to read through those again. I want you to answer some of those. I want you to pray and ask the Lord that he would speak to your heart and mind, and then I'll end in prayer.
here's a chance for oneness. Can you recognize that in this room there is nine and one? Would you be courageous enough, Cheryl, to make it ten? Lord, we have several changes that have happened here. Would you help us to be um, on the battleship with Pastor Brian? That it wouldn't be a difficult transition, Lord, from the cruise ship to the battleship. Many of us feel like we've been on the battleship for a while now. And we thank you for that. We thank you for helping us to do our jobs, for helping us to understand that our tasks are important, for giving us purpose. Lord, would we see that we have an opportunity to help another person to find their purpose. God, we thank you that this church was able to come together. And today we want to tell you that we all like the idea of you being the boss. <laughs> when they said everyone liked this idea, that was shocking to me, Lord. When I think about the things that we have in common that we all like, we all like that you are the boss of this place. We all like that we learn from your holy word. We all like that you're changing us. We all like that we're on this journey together. And each of us is at a little different spot, Lord. We all like that you're still pursuing our probably not a chance list. Thanks for that reminder today that those Old Testament priests would come to know and love you. We're really grateful to be yours, Lord. We're really thankful for how you speak to our hearts and minds. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to go and be your people, incredible representatives of this church, of your church, of your family. And help us to embrace every opportunity that you give us, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for the time we've been able to spend together today in your presence. Would you go with my friends this week? Would you help them? Would you open our eyes and give us opportunities and help us to not be apathetic towards them or too busy or walking right by chances where we could actually affect change in another person's life because you showed up first and you're going to stay way behind once we're gone. So I pray for opportunities for my friends, Lord. I pray for boldness and for courage and that you would help each of us to recognize whether we wait on tables or whether we preach the word or whether we pray, whatever it is that we do, that we're doing it for you. And everyone liked that. <laughs> we love you, Jesus. Thanks for being here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.